Madame et Monsieur, écoutez bien. Welcome to Fashion Mode with Charles McDonald, brought to you in association with Force Magazine on World Radio Paris. Bonjour and welcome to Fashion Mode. This is a primetime fashion show for World Radio Paris, which is brought to you in association with Force Magazine. I'm Charles Daniel MacDonald, and as usual, we'll be hosting the show exclusively for World Radio Paris. Something wicked this way comes. With Halloween just around the corner, we take a look at the most sinister side of fashion, including the most macabre works of Alexander McQueen, Trissardi's tarot collection, Paco Rabanne's latest sacrifice to esoteric ecstasy, and an interview with Shani Nicholas, fashion's very own go-to astrologer. Meet Shani Nicholas, the fashion world's go-to astrologer. If you're not already following the work of LA-based astrologer Shani Nicholas, then stop what you're doing once you've listened to this, and get on her Instagram immediately. Born in British Columbia, she started learning the craft of astrology at the tender age of 12, after her stepmom bought her an astrology reading kit. Since then, she's immersed herself into the world of healing, social justice, and understanding how humanity is affected by the movement of planets. Now 41, Nicola's work is presented in a variety of memes, which she makes herself, affirmations, workshops, one-line zingers, a Spotify playlist, and more in-depth horoscopes, which are presented once a month on the new moon. It is this reason that has amassed her a cult following among the in-the-know crowd, with followers regularly zoning in from some other world guidance, including design houses such as Lizzo, Gwendolyn Christie, the musical Michelle Gobert, and Chanel's infamous Lucia Pica. The motto she sends out to her 250,000 plus Instagram followers is that it's up to you to take what resonates, what works, and leave what doesn't. It's a guidance, not a hard or fast philosophy for self-development. With this in mind, I caught up with Shani to understand her work and the world of fashion astrology so much better. Shani, you do more than just a few monthly horoscopes for each sign. Yes, every month I do a new moon workshop and go through astrology for each sign, new moon to new moon. I look at the lunar cycle for each sign and give people auspicious times to work with and rituals for the new moon. Most of those are focused on people's healing and self-development. I offer meditations and writing reflections and readings for them. I also teach courses that are about your astrological chart. One of my main passions is to give people the tools to learn how to understand their own chart. Readings are actually great from an astrologer, but nothing is as fulfilling as understanding how the planets work with your own chart and how to work with them. And it unlocks an incredible amount of energy. Did you always want to explore the world around you? Yes, absolutely. I've always been engaged in environment movements. I grew up in a small town in British Columbia, which is beautiful and surrounded by nature. I grew up feeling con connected to the world. It was a radical community that was very anti-institution and corporation. 
Before I became an astrologer, I worked in community centers with queers and trans. I worked with community planning. So, always caregiving jobs. Why do you think astrology has become a bigger part of people's lives in the past few years? I think it's something that we've been able to have greater access to. The major world religions come from societies where people are living in it according to nature. And time is marked with a lot of emphasis. In Judaism, we celebrate the new moon. Every month is celebrated. We're lunar people. Before major religions were living in places where we were temples to the moon, human beings come from solar lunar systems and understanding of the system. Holidays, Christmas, Easter, they're all cluttered around equinoxes for a reason. The marking of the time is our DNA, and I think people are hungry for it again, and astrology helps you do that. Why do you write affirmations for the new moon rather than the standard horoscope? Well, the new moon is a good time to reset, refocus on your attention, where your power is, and staying with that. As the new moon moves into a full moon, hopefully those affirmations grow into. And finally, do you worry about getting things wrong ever? It's not about being right. It's about being helpful and providing people with space for reflection. You can't write for a twelfth of the population and be right. But what I can is be useful. I can be a place of refugee or reflection. Horoscopes are not astrology. They're just a little offering and a muse bouche of a whole meal. I always say that works for you and leave the rest. It's not written in stone. What happens when you take four distinguishing women, one ancient castle, and a world of foreboding mystic forces which are let loose within? Well, instead of the synopsis for a classic horror movie, it would transpire that you'll end up with the latest Autumn Winter 19 collection from French couturier Paco Rabanne, which is showcased in the style of a short film under the direction of Julien Dossena. Indulging his passion for French fantasy films, Dossena sets the mood for Raban's latest collection by affording us an eerily sensuous romp around a mysterious yet immaculately decorated mansion set within the new era. In no particular order, his juxtaposing inspirations range from Baroque, countryside, cowboys, dance, dandies grunge, the grittiness of acid jazz, and the tenderness of friendship. It comes as no surprise to see that the coven of inquisitive women act as the protagonists throughout the film, encompassing the essence of the Paco Rabanne woman who emulates the glamour meets bourgeois Parisian codes of the brand. I imagine multiple situations and incarnations from these references, Dosena explained of how he envisaged the two-minute film and his attitude to holistic contemporary fashion design. It's both quite abstract and practical at the same time. 
the director's creative team for the short film, entitled The Apparition, was written and directed by Rafael Gianelli Meriano, with a supporting talent base featuring Fishback, Christina Tebat, Nelaya Bat, and Nora Atal. We wanted to talk about the feeling of sisterhood, the power of womanhood is strong and mysterious, eternal as well, and also mystical in that sense. Within the transmission, light quickly turns to darkness thanks to the skills of cinematographer Martin de Chabino, leaving plenty of scope for outfit changes thanks to stylist Marie Amel Sauvé. Within the time loop, the most bewitching visuals of the evening come at the film's climax as the women gather around the light. A cleverly placed disco ball that scatters Paco Rabanne's signature metal palettes across the mesh dresses, just in time for a nightly ritual. I could live here forever, is the narrator's closing statement, and it's not difficult to imagine floating around a gothic estate in glistening chainmail. Whilst never having experienced an arcane force, Docena still believes that people can sometimes be transcended by mystic belief. When it comes to the founder of the namesake brand, however, he has no hesitations. Paco Rabanne himself is a mystical, esoteric writer. He testified that. The film is a wink to the founder. But will this seductive snapshot into Docena's world translate into an increase in trade? Well, only time will tell. But for the moment, his evocative imagery cuts through the somewhat predictable visuals that are saturating the ready-to-wear market. Within the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness towering over us, we can see elements of autumnal reflection in the new range of classically inspired men's fashion from Gaia Trussardi. Before the once of the witty showcase, Trussardi played her cards close to her chest before coming up trumps with a tarot card theme for her collection, which was recently revealed at the Brera Pinoteca Gallery in Milan. The display skillfully brought presentation and personification to the cards by morphing actors and models into tangible creations on stage for everyone to appreciate. With the emphasis on the notion of light and colour, there were male modellings representing Magnus and Fool cards, orbiting the sun and clothed in deconstructed suede, wool and leather garments in both bright and muted colours that were soft to the touch yet practical from top to door for the millennial urbanite. For me, this collection had a real emphasis on weather creations with midnight blacks and dark browns, intermingling with python weather necked collar trenches, wool, suede and robe coats, swirling into view, between and betwixt, sand and suede with variants of brown, the famous Trussardi blue and powder blue dresses, jackets and trousers. Confident with wearable unisex and dedicated gender creations with the omnipresent T logo were again there as a reminder as to match. These sat alongside their coordinating classic lace-up details, which were served in complementing rich dark and velvety winter shades that came with accessories such as clutches and backpacks of a similar aesthetic. The cards also foretold a notional reveal for the women's collection. We saw justice, temperance and impress as symbols for this fall's range. 
with as expected weather outerwear having a lean urban chic, again with encouragement to accessorise and be damned, but with more than a passing nod to the everyday utilitarian, despite the richness of their winter colours and luxury materials. The cuts all conveyed an emphasis on a medley of the winter and spring coordinates that we all love to wear. There was a minimum of fuss, but the collection still managed to convey the notion of remaining out there. Pantsuits and long printed v-neck dresses were slashed to the midriff and presented in a variety of muted and splashed vibrant colours, which were then intermingled with jackets and coats, which gave a morning stroll in the park feel slash boho chic credibility to the proceedings. The collection closed with all 14 models and sundry canines, interpreting and orbiting each other on the runway as they reflected the organic nature of the season's fashion fair mysticality. Alexander McQueen once quoted, I find beauty in the grotesque. This was a notion which was very much affirmed by the late designer's extensive and indicative body of work. Although McQueen's collections were a masterpiece through the marriage of theatrical talent and technical flair, they often left visitors to his sartorial spectacles with a sensation of disturbance and an equal state of respect and repulsion. An acute attention to shocking detail was always observed. He transformed models' eyes to blood red, affixed skeletons to their faces and placed one completely naked in a glass enclosure brimming with moths. McQueen drew inspiration from everything except the mainstream. He quoted his inspirations which ranged from the magnificent to the macabre and everything in between. Some of the more twisted and dark themes of his spectacular runway shows ranged from the gothic fairy tales of the Grimm Brothers, the infamous turn-of-the-century serial killer Jack the Ripper, Victorian mental asylum patients, atrocities committed by the British armies at Scotland's haunting Glencoe, as well as paying homage to one of his ancestors who lost her wife through hanging at the Salem Witchcraft Trials of 1962. Here are five of his force majeures. Jack the Ripper stalks his victims. Emmy Graduation Collection, 1992. McQueen's morose approach to aesthetics was apparent from the very first stages of his career. His now legendary 1992 Central St Martin's Emmy Collection was inspired by none other than Jack the Ripper, the North London serial killer who hunted murdered prostitutes for several years over the 1880s. McQueen was no stranger to the legacy of Jack as he grew up in the East End area of London, and fashion hearsay suggests that one of his relatives reputed to lend the bedroom to one of the Ripper's fatalities. Each garment in his graduate collection featured a lock of his hair, which was encapsulated between two layers of acrylic, 
which also thoughtfully tied into the notion of Victorian London customs, such as exchanging hair with lovers, which many times was bought from prostitutes to save damaging the flowing manes of that time. Dante, Autumn Winter, 1996 Featuring an alternative line-up to the traditional front row, fashion journalists were joined by a skeleton for McQueen's Autumn Winter 16 show, which took place in Spitalfields Christchurch. This landmark building was designed by architect and Satanist Nicholas Hosmer and acted as a suitable host for McQueen's latest chapter of frightening fairy tale fashion entitled Dante. After the 14th century Florentine poet, who was recognised in art circles for his images of conflict and religious iconography. Using the narrative of war and peace, the show featured male models styled in the mood of Hispanic teen gangs straight from Paul Morrissey's 1984 film. Mixed blood, horns and antlers sprouted prominently from their female counterparts, with some wearing a crown of thorns and another face gently masked in a fine silk cover, complete with Heliton's hand clasp. Joan, Autumn Winter, 1998 As well as one of the most visually engaging shows in terms of its beauty and aesthetics, models wore bald caps and red contact lenses, and his protagonist for this season, Joan, was given a darkly poetical overtone. As the title suggests, McQueen was inspired by Joan of Arc, a 15th century French female warrior who led her country's army to victory in their battle against the English. During her final hours, she was captured, tried for hearsay and burned alive at the stake. McQueen's attention to detail left nothing overlooked. Industrial lamps swung eerily over the catwalk as the models made a staccato strut towards the audience wearing elegant full-length dresses, sharp suits, four-length coats, chainmail armour made from silver-plated metal. For the grand finale, a mass model took place on a ring of fire which ferociously ignited above her. Voss, Spring-Summer 2001 For many fashion critiques, Voss was McQueen's finest work. Padded walls and a white-tiled catwalk floor set the scene for his spring-summer offering, which was inspired by a Victorian mental asylum. The models paid reference to this notion in their overall styling. Some had their arms pinned down by delicately embroidered coats, which were made to look like straitjackets, and some of them had their heads bandaged, whilst others had taxidermy birds roosting in their haywire hair. At the end of the show, a box which was installed in the middle of the room fell apart at all sides. This revealed a glass case with a naked woman inside. Surrounded by hundreds of live moths, she wore a metal mask embellished with bird's wings and a thick tube which projected from her mouth. During this, the sound of a heartbeat which had been accompanying the show was broken off by a haunting flatline alarm, with McQueen justifying this notion as being about trying to trap something that wasn't conventionally beautiful to show that beauty does indeed come from within. What a merry-go-round. Autumn Winter, 2001. This show was straight out of your darkest childhood nightmares. 
What a merry-go-round saw the model's delicate faces transformed into borderline terrifying human canvases. McQueen's rationale for the show was, we show children clowns as if they are funny, but they're not. They're actually really scary. And he meant it. The show was staged to resemble a sinister children's nursery, which was decked out with giant teddy bears, ventriloquist dummies and rocking horses, all covered in a sprinkling of cobwebs and macabre. The show was set to the sound of the cult 1968 film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where the unnerving child catcher's voice set the pace for the models as they walked, some of whom had golden skeletons clasped to their ankle as they navigated the black runway in this hot house of horrors. <laughs> 